read about the courage of this woman. Her name was Harriet Tubman. She was actually able to bring slaves to an underground railroad and bring them to freedom. She had a vision to take people out of a place of bondage and bring them into a place of abundant freedom. You know, that was something that she saw, that she had this vision. But sometimes, you know, we can have a vision and we just don't seem to be able to do it. I mean, Harriet Tubman went through all kinds of difficulties, but yet she was able to hold tight. So that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Um, My guest has, uh, he's a favorite for the show, and it's uh, Pastor Gary Fishman. Pastor Gary has just written a book actually about Harriet Tubman. It's called uh, The Fugitive Prophet, The Prophetic Journey of Harriet Tubman. And we're going to discuss today about how we can, just like she did, hold tight to the vision that God has given us. So thank you for, for coming on to talk about this new book. I'm super excited, Gary. Sure, it's good to be on. But before I, I come on, I have to tell you first about a story that I heard. What story did you hear? I heard a story about this elderly lady who was at the beach. And all of a sudden, she heard a man's voice, and she looked down, and it was a frog. So she picked up the frog, and the frog started talking. And the frog said, well, I'm not really a frog. I was actually a prince, and because of a spell, I turned into, I turned into a frog. But if you'll kiss me, I'll turn back into a prince, and then I'll marry you, and we'll live together forever. Well, the lady picked up, took the frog, put it in her pocket, got in the car, started driving home. The frog said, well, didn't you hear me? If you'll kiss me, I'll turn into a prince, and we'll live forever together. So the frog said, aren't you going to kiss me? The lady said, no. The frog said, why not? The lady said, to tell you the truth, at my age, I'd rather have a talking frog. (laughs) But I'm bump. He's here all week, folks. (laughs) Now you're going to have to um, have a COVID charge and a two-drink minimum. That's right. That's right. So this this is a first for us because you're actually calling in. Usually you're here. So um so we would I would just like to lift up uh, your wife Norma. So if you guys are listening, if you can just pray for Norma, you know she's uh, under the weather and she's uh, she's having some difficulties. So we're just gonna pray some peace and some healing sent her way. So I just want you to know that um that we just appreciate you taking time to um, to call in. But this book that you wrote, where the heck did this come from? Like, this is, this is just so off of the beaten path that when I actually saw that you were writing this book, I was like, oh, I can't wait to talk about this. Well, um, you know, I, I was listening to an interview about Harriet Tubman, and they were talking about how... Everything she did, she did through dreams and visions. You know, she was led by the Lord, by the voice of God, by God would give her pictures and visions. So being that's my main area of ministry, I was really intrigued to learn more about it. So I I began to research, and, and I saw that everything she did in her life, she was led by the Spirit of God, 
and that's why she had victory. That's why she endured. That's why she was. She never got caught. Now here's a woman who couldn't read or write. She had no. She never went to school because slaves weren't allowed to go to school. It was illegal for slaves to learn how to read. So it was, you know. So with no formal education, and after years of slavery. She was able to not only break free, but dedicate her whole life to bringing freedom to other slaves. And even after the war was over, she continued to help people, to help the poor, to feed people. And it was all by the power of the Holy Spirit. And see, most of, through the years, most of what I've been experiencing to in terms of the prophetic has to do with meetings in church. You know, you have a church meeting and then people line up with their tape recorders for prophetic words or people are trying to build their ministries. But she never cared less about any of that. She wasn't about, you know, prophesying over the same people week after week. She didn't care about having meetings, she didn't care how many likes she had on Facebook or how many Twitter followers. Her only passion was to do the will of God and to come against every odd like that and to and to live such a victorious life, you know, was just so striking to me. Well, you know, and she's in, she endured a lot. I mean, I think you, you wrote in her in your book that she was beaten and, you know, she, she did not, and she was put in prison because, you know, but there were, there were things that, that happened that she had to overcome in order for this, for these dreams, for these visions to, to come into fruition. So she, she definitely had something inside of her that, that she, I, I guess she felt that, that urge, like when you, get that 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 nudging from the holy spirit and you're obedient like he's not going to let up so you just sometimes have to go because it's almost like if you don't do it you're going to explode well how she had a real encounter with god um because she she found out that the slaveholder that she had was gonna was deciding to sell her whole family, and the problem is back then if they sold the family they would all go to different places, you know. In, the slaveholders had no problem with separating a husband and wife, separating mother and from their children, putting all the children in different places. So she was because of that she prayed. God, she prayed that the slaveholder would die, either either um, relent from what he was doing or die. And the slaveholder shortly after actually died, and she was so grief-stricken by that. Even, even after he tormented her and beat her and disrupted her family, you know, did every evil, she prayed actually for his death, and when he died, she um, she just felt such conviction, you know, because of the scriptures that say, "Love your enemies, bless those who hate you," and after that, it really drew her to God, and 
she made a determination that everything she did was going to be showing love and grace and mercy. And that was birthed out of such a horrible incident. Well, I think you also start to realize the power of prayer. I mean, when you pray for something like that and it happens, you're like, holy moly, I got to be careful what I ask. I have to be careful what I pray. I have to be careful what I, what I think. Because I, I think once we start to, to see the, the power that God has given us through our, our words, through, the, through even our thoughts, that we will actually take a step back and we'll be very careful about what we allow ourselves to think or, or even say. So I, I think that whole mind shift that she had was, was purely an awakening to, you know, I, I don't want to wish ill. I don't want to, I want to be love. I want to express love and I want to, to love others because, you know, life and death and, and the blessings and the cursings, it's all in all. We have that power through how we speak. So I, I think that's extremely profound for her to see instead of her saying, oh, great, now I know what my power can do. I'm just going to go ahead and I'm just going to start, you know, praying for everybody else to, to drop dead, all these other people who have been, you know, <laughs> m- mean. And and instead, because she she had, you know, a relationship with God, she, it probably grieved his heart. And so therefore she, you know, you kind of feel like what he feels. So what, let me ask you a question. Like, when did she realize that, that God was directing this? Well, she started, she was having visions when she was younger, but actually what happened was she got um, hit in the head by by a large metal object that um, she was lent out, you know, to diff or rented out to different um, slaveholders, and one of them she was rented out to. You know, there was a runaway slave, and he told her to to help him catch the runaway slave, and she refused. And because of that, he took this big heavy metal object and threw it at her. It hit her in the head. And she had, you know, convulsions and epileptic issues her whole life. But at the same time, all of a sudden, she began to have visions after that incident. Somehow, I don't know how it was related, and that's why a lot of the New Age people claim that it was, um, you know, it was, it was a cult, it was witchcraft. And a lot of other people claim that her visions and dreams because of that incident came from brain damage, was actually hallucination. But I don't see how any of that is possible because if it was just hallucinations, it wouldn't have always led her in the right direction. She wouldn't have had the accuracy. But somehow, what the enemy meant to destroy her opened up the whole realm of dreams and visions to her. Wow. And so it was everything to her seemed to happen after trauma that she'd have an encounter with God that would launch her to a whole new level. Now, did she actually ever say that she saw God or she saw Jesus? Did she ever speak about that in any of the research that you, you did? Not 
Not that I saw, but um, other slaves. You know, I did see that with other people. For example, Sojourner Truth. Have you ever heard of Sojourner Truth? No. Well, she was another slave who got free. Um, you know, and, and she didn't set slaves free, but she went around preaching. She went around um, proclaiming freedom. Um, so she, she was also a popular figure, an ex-slave. And she had an, an, an encounter where Jesus actually visited her because up to that time she had great condemnation and she felt like she could never please God. And all of a sudden Jesus shows up and, you know, in a vision and she just encountered his love. And after that, her whole self-image, everything about her was transformed. I, I've never where Harriet Tubman actually saw Jesus. It seemed like what she saw was very practical. She had visions that that would always lead her into victory. Without the dreams and visions, she would have gotten caught. So for her, it wasn't so much about just having spiritual experiences. It was about having visions that would tell her, don't go this way, go that way. Wow. Now, now, just because, you know, what's really interesting is that, you know, there's been so much more, like, research that has been done about the slaves and about the Underground Railroads. And what's really interesting is, I think it was this past spring. I was I was speaking with somebody. And we were actually talking about the glory train, and uh, and he was kind of talking to me about the the glory train. But as he was speaking to me, I actually left in in like I I had this like I felt like my spirit was in this translocated into this different place because I was actually in a cotton field. And I, but I was back in the days of, of slavery and I saw the slaves and I, I saw them picking the cotton and I heard them singing and I heard the Lord say that, that the slaves were actually prophesying their future, that these songs were not just songs, but they were prophesying their future. And then I was back and I, and I shared that revelation with the person I was talking to. I'm like, I, I got to share this with you. Well, now, like I said, that was back in, in the spring. Just recently, we went away to, um, to Florida. And I was talking, we went into the, in Epcot, they had this like uh, pavilion for America. And so they had this special section where it was talking about, you know, African-Americans and what they have done to help grow America. And there was some things about slavery and Harriet Tubman and stuff. And what was really interesting is I, I had a conversation with my son, Alex. And I said, Alex, this is what happened. And I shared the experience and the vision that I had. And he says, well, mom, that's true. He said, when they would actually sing those songs, he goes, those were actually songs to tell people about the Underground Railroad. They were codes and they were messages to tell people about freedom. And it was to... to so they would be able to just sing these songs, but they were actually able to tell people where to go and how to get there and, and everything, like Swing Low Sweet Chariot coming forth to carry me home. That means that the Underground Railroad was going to start running. And I was like, really? He goes, didn't you know that? I'm like, no, I didn't. But I think it's really interesting how, 
how God can give us these these ways of of getting out of difficult situations. And I even think back into the Old Testament with the Israelites when they were in in bondage, when they were the slaves. Like, didn't they sing songs? Like, is that something that they did? Is that they would sing songs about their freedom? That the that you know that I guess um you know the deliverer was going to come with who would be Moses. But didn't they kind of sing and and cry out to God for their freedom? Right. I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't, I don't see anywhere where it says that they were singing, but they were they were crying out for deliverance. Okay. You know, they cried out for savior, and it's true what you said about the slaves. Um, that's why a lot of the songs they sang were about Moses. So, for example, one of the most popular hymns from back then was called Go Down Moses. And that's what Harriet Tubman would sing. That was her cue. Interesting. Um, you know, Go Down Moses, tell the Pharaoh to let my people go. So when she would sing that when she'd come near, because she would set uh, get word out and let people know she was coming, and the sign that she was there was that they would hear her begin to sing, Go Down Moses. Wow. Wow. I, I think it's, I, I, you know, it was such a, it was such a difficult time. Like, if you really think about it, you know, I've, I've watched, you know, some movies of, you know, um, of racism, and, and unfortunately, it's still something we're dealing with today. In fact, I think we're we're actually getting smacked in the face with it. And I think that it's something that God really wants to to deal with that it can't just be, you know, like put under and just kind of brushed aside. I think there there almost needs to become like where America needs to actually repent for what they did to the slaves for there to be healing. This is what the, that's kind of what I've been feeling God's been talking to me about, is that this is part of the shaking, and he's, he's trying to shake loose some of this stuff. So if, if we have racism, he's trying to shake that out. That's why everything's kind of bubbling up. And I think that's, it's, it's very, very interesting that there were people who God used, you know, who, who were so... Um, that you wouldn't think they would be able to be used so mightily. And I feel like that's kind of the same thing right now, that there are people that God wants to use that they don't think that they can be used, but God wants to bring freedom, but in a in a different way. How Does that make sense to you? Yeah, well, here's the thing that Harriet Tubman proved, how to minister, how to bring freedom. She did it one person at a time. See, she didn't have the influence to go out and, and save hundreds of people. You know, she couldn't, like, um, gather a whole bunch of people together. She was a fugitive. So what she did was whatever was in front of her at the moment, whatever person, whatever situation, she would help them. Um, she didn't free a whole lot of slaves. You know, there were probably other people that freed more slaves. But she basically, you know, would go out on her own, and she'd go in the winter time, you know, in the middle of the snow, because it was harder to get caught. And she just, 
she did it one at a time. So she didn't have the money to go out, you know, and, and rescue hundreds of slaves. She didn't have the resources. She didn't have the, the influence. So she taught us, to me, gave us a tremendous model on what ministry is. If you don't have the influence, if you if you don't you know if you can't set up a, a a meeting somewhere and hundreds of people come, just love the one, set the one free. I put on Facebook today. This quote is in my book um, by Mother Teresa, and she said, "Well, if you can't feed hundreds of people, feed one person." Right. And see, that's the model that Harriet Tubman gave. See, it wasn't only what she did with slavery. After that, she went and, and helped the soldiers. You know, the, when the soldiers were sick, she would make them, you know, use folk remedies to help them to get well. She, when she got old, she would invite, all, you know, people in her house, blind people, lame people, any anyone she could help. She would never turn anyone away. But she always did it just for that one. She loved the one. And that was, that shows us how we could have an impact, even if we're not famous, we don't have a lot of money. But it's like Heidi Baker said. She said, just love the one in front of you. You know, if we would do that, you know, we could touch the world. Absolutely. But so many people say, oh, well, I'm nothing. I'm nobody. You know, nobody knows me. What could I do? That's just false humility. Just go out and love that one person at work. Start there. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting because isn't there a verse that says to, to, to you know, you have to go for the one? I mean, like Jesus kind of talks about like that uh, a shepherd, a good shepherd will will leave the rest of the sheep to go and find the one. Yeah, that's, that's the heart of God, you know, the importance of just one person. See, ministry shouldn't be all about, you know, worrying about how many people are going to show up, how, how, how big is the offering going to be, you know, what i got to build my brand. You know, this is stuff I hear from people in ministry. Well, I need to build my brand. I need to get my name out. She could care less. Yeah. She, she could care less about her reputation, what people thought about her. And she died penniless. She never got the fame and accolades she deserved. Um, why? Because everything she had, she gave it away. Well, she had she had a big uh, she has a fortune up in heaven <laughs> because well, every, that's what she yeah. knew and that's what she lived for. She she lived for that. Yeah, and I I think I think that's kind of the problem. I think that's you know when, when Jesus even gave to the disciples and he said you know go out share the good news raise the the dead heal the sick cast out demons. He wasn't saying, you know, wait until you have like, you know, 500 followers and then go start your ministry. He was like, they went from from place to place, house to house, city to city. And each person that they encountered was touched. Because that's, I mean, at least that's how I read it. Is that, you know, 
they would just have these encounters with different people and they were written about and they would be talked about that but it was usually they they didn't talk about how it was like a ton of thousands of people that you know it was like and they and the one person you know the the guy who couldn't walk you know we have no money but what i can give you you know and and the guy got healed so it's like i think even jesus kind of showed how he ministered to the one like yes he ministered to lots of people but it was the one. It was the one that he saw. He always looked for the one. In fact, he even found some in trees, right? <laughs> he, he, had, he had good eyesight, that Jesus. <laughs> he could find people in trees, you know, that were trying to, to catch a glimpse, you know, or trying to hide. You know, he could, he could spot them. And I think, it, I think that's the thing is that we need to become more like people spotters. We need to, to start looking to see people in a, in a different way. I think we need to look for almost like, um, you know how like people go on the beach and they have the, the, de the detectors that they go mm -hmm. and they go over the sand, you know, and all of a sudden it beeps, it goes beep, beep, and then they stop and they start digging. I think if the church did that, <laughs> I think that would be kind of a, a great thing that when we would walk by people, all of a sudden our Holy Spirit beeper would go off, go beep, beep, beep. <laughs> we would be able to start ministering to somebody because, you know, that, that I think is, especially with the craziness that is going on, like right now, it is some crazy stuff that's going on. I, I mean, I can't even watch the news because it's ridiculous. So now let me ask you another question regarding your books. I don't want to get off topic because I will. But um, so what were some, did she ever operate in any kind of signs, wonders, or miracles being because she was a prophet? And was she, did she consider herself a prophet? No, not at all. You know, back then there was, you know, really the designation of calling people prophets was, has just been restored probably in the last 20 years or so. So she... You know, through the, through the years, um, especially back then, um, there wasn't a lot of talk of labeling people. She was just a church member. She was just an ordinary church member. She was never labeled a prophet. It's just in looking back, that to me, she walked as a prophet. Okay. You know, like the authority that she walked in and, and the gifting and the influence. And the you know, obedience. That she had in people. But, yeah, but the so obedience, she, she was, was very obedient. Especially being an African-American. You know, even back then, even in the North, in, in most cases, they had a separate section if you were if you were black. That's that's the one of the reasons why black churches were formed because they were tired of never being allowed to come into church leadership of always being feeling like second class, and that was why a lot of the church the black churches started. Um. So for an African-American back then, you know, it was really difficult um, to be labeled as anything, you know. So it was, she was never called a prophet. She was never recognized. Um, 
outside of people who really were part of the abolitionist movement. You know, there were there were a remnant of Christians, of many of them were Quakers that back then who were abolitionists, which means they believe in ending slavery. Um what I didn't know, what I found out was, for example, the Southern Baptists were formed over that issue. That there, Back then, there was only the Baptists, and the South broke off from the North over the issue of slavery. So, um, you know, African Americans weren't held in very high regard, even in the church back then. But now back then, they also didn't operate in, in the signs and the wonders because they, did they understand the, the you know, their identity, I guess, as a, a, a son? They probably didn't understand their identity because it, it just seems like all this stuff, all, all this stuff that I'm starting to see, you know, the signs, wonders, and, and all this stuff, it's, is it because we're coming to a realization of of who we are in Christ? Well, a lot, again, a lot of the signs and wonders was absent from the Church, you know, up until the end of, say, the 19th century and then coming into Azusa Street, you know, the Great Revival in the early 1900s, where people started reading the Bible and saying, wait, I want to see these miracles now. I want to speak in tongues like those people did. And they began contending for miracles, and they started. It was only in the last century that there were great healing revivals and movements. Um, and then we saw a diminishing of that, and then it started to come back again, you know, in the 80s with John Wimber, you know, the whole healing movement, and now we see it accelerating. But back in when she was doing that, you know, nobody really spoke about signs and wonders, but she's, at the same time, everything she did was a miracle. The provision that she got. There was, there was one case where she had to, she knew she had to go um, to rescue her parents. God told her, your parents are in danger. You need to go back down south to rescue them from slavery. Um but she didn't have the resources to do it. And God told her, you go to such and such office and you'll get the money. So she went into the office, the business office, and the businessman says, well, I don't have money to give you. She said, you don't have to give me money. God sent me here. And she sat down in the chair and she sat there for hours just sitting there. She didn't sit and preach. She just sat there. But somehow people started walking into the office and handing her money so she had more than what she needed. I mean, that's not laying hands on people and seeing deaf, the deaf healed. But that's a, that was a miracle. That of was provision. a miracle. Yeah, especially especially for, for white people to be giving money to an African-American right then. You know, that, that in itself is a miracle because... I'm sure it wasn't African Americans who were coming through the doors. No, not in that not in that case. No. So, you know, for for them to be moved by God to bring money, you know, it's 
It's really interesting when we look back on difficult times and we can see how God moved. How he was always, that he would always try to find someone who was willing to help. That there was someone who he could use to, maybe he couldn't save everybody, but at least he would have certain ones. Do you, you know what I mean? Like there was always, even in, in the Holocaust, you know, that there were people who were used to, to help, to free. Because I, I believe that in the, in the darkest times that, that God shows up and he shows up in ways that we just don't expect. Mm-hmm. That's true. With Again, going back to Harriet Tubman, there was one case with, when she was really elderly, you know, like I said before, she was penniless. Um, and she was sick because she got beaten up for, for um, trying to sit in a sit down in a, on a train. I think in the that was only for white people in a compartment only for white people, and she got beat really badly. So she ended up, you know, really sick and hurt. So she, there was times she was unable to work. Um, so there was one occasion where she was in the house. And they had no food, and she had always had a house full of people, whether she had money or not. If she ate, everybody ate, <laughs> you know. So she took people into a house. She wouldn't turn people away. And there was one case where they had nothing, and she told the woman who was cooking, um, "Just start boiling up the pot, or boiling up the water." So the woman said, boil the water for what? We have no food. She said, just boil the water. Well, what happened was a woman showed up with a whole with a whole load of groceries. And she was standing outside in the street waiting for her. Wow. Supernaturally. And when the lady said, well, how did you, how, how did you know somebody was going to come and help you? So she said, my father is a king. That was her response. I mean, that's total miraculous. Yeah. You know, so a lot of times when we look for the miraculous, we always think of it in terms of we're going out to minister. Or the Red Sea party. The miraculous (laughs) was part of everyday life. If if there was no miracle, she she wouldn't survive. Right. She, She survived. She fought in the war. She was the first woman to lead a charge in, in, in the United States Army. Wow. She worked as a scout. She, every, everything she did was miraculous. You know, and that, to me, is a real sign of the end time movement, is that the miracles are just going to be everyday occurrences. It's not just going to be we're going to have a church meeting and lay hands on people. Oh, we're going to go out, you know, we're going to organize an outreach. We should do those things. I do those things. But I believe it's going to be more, you know, just in my everyday life, the supernatural is going to break out. Well, and I think that when we start to operate, like with that, just just doing, like you said, I think it just kind of comes because there are... You know, there are people who just, they just go about doing their business and they just have encounters. They don't go setting them up. They just occur. 
it's just part of who they are. I once had a really good friend who said to me, because I was telling her, I'm like, oh my gosh, and this happened, and this happened. She goes, well, Lisa, this is your life now. She said, some days you're going to go to the store, and some days you're going to pray with someone. Some days people, you know, some days people are going to get healed and some days you're going to cast out a demon. It's just who you are. <laughs> I was like, oh, oh, okay. <laughs> but I think that's, that really is the mindset that we have to have. Where, where Harriet Tubman just said that every day she was just going to do and, and to, to be and, and, and be obedient to whatever God had called her to do. I, you know, I, I would think that she just woke up every single day and said, okay, what are we doing today? Right, and she would just do it. You know, again, um, another time the family had no food. She had no money. She just took her cart, went to the market, and she came home with a whole, with a whole, um, with a whole cart full of food, just walking around, and ended up with all kind of beets and everything, all supernaturally. She didn't steal it. She didn't ask for it. You know, so that's how she lived her life. You know, just totally believing God. See, it's one thing, you know, when you just desire to see a miracle. It's another thing when you're not going to live another another day or two if you don't get a miracle. And she lived like that. And another time, um, she, she, um, she was rescuing slaves, and all of a sudden God told her, don't go the way you are going. Go into the, go into the swamp. So she actually went into the swamp and, and got onto an island, you know, because God warned her, you know, if you go back the way you plan to go, you would get caught. Um, and they said so they just laid there, and it, it was winter. It was freezing cold. They had nowhere to go. You know, their clothes were frozen. And all of a sudden, a man starts walking by on this island and talking to himself and saying, well, there's a farmhouse down the road with a with a, a horse and buggy filled with supplies. So they got up, they walked to the farmhouse, they got the horse and buggy, they they got clean clothes, all the food they needed, and drove off. Was that in? Was um, then they they went on and they left the cart at another house, you know, with instructions to return it back to the farm, you know. They went to one of the stops on the Underground Railroad. So, I mean, how did the, she, she never knew her whole life how possibly that guy knew to show up and walk by. Yeah. How did he possibly know that they were there or even care? Who would care less? But God said, but God sent someone because he always sends someone because he's that good. He's just that I mean, good. if the guy doesn't show up, they're dead, laying yeah. in the swamp in the wow. winter time. Wow. That's amazing. So as you started to do all this research, were you completely blown away? Because I, I, yeah. I, I think that, like, you know, we hear the stories, but not like this. 
Right. Well, they leave all of that out in school. They leave God out of history. You know, especially now, any mention of God at all. <laughs> so how did you find all this research? Well, I started with her original biographies. You know, it's available, her original biography. Um, her biographer was named Sarah Bradford, and she was a Christian. So she was able to recognize and appreciate all the all these things in her life, you know, that had to do with dreams and visions and the, the prophetic and, um, you know, and the miracles. So, so her biographer was a very strong Christian. So that biography was written in the 1800s. Then there was another friend that she had, you know, that wrote a series of articles for newspapers and they're all still available today. So we have the original source material. We have a ri the, some original interviews with Harriet Tubman by those who knew her. So it's not just like legends passed down. We have, you know, books written in the 1800s. Wow. People that experienced it along with her saw the what she did. You know, Harriet Tubman, she had a vision of the emancipation of the slaves three years before it happened. And she had the dream and she was staying over a pastor's house and she woke up in the morning and started dancing and screaming and celebrating. And the pastor said, what happened? She said, well, I just, I just saw the ending of the war and the emancipation of the slaves, and the, and the minister got upset, said, why are, why are you teasing us like that? You know, this is impossible. Well, three years later, it happened, and everyone was jumping up and down and celebrating, not Harriet Tubman. They said, how come you're not celebrating? She said, I already saw this three years ago, and I already did my celebration. <laughs> in other words, she was so sure. She had so much faith in her ability to hear from God that she didn't need to see the manifestation of it, you know, to start to celebrate, to start to rejoice over it. All she needed to do was have a glimpse in the spirit, and she was totally sure you know, these are things that prophetic people I rarely see today, you know, 200 years later. Well, why do you or think not that? Not 200, 150 years later. But why do you think that, Gary? Why do you think that people can have a vision or people could have something spoken to their life and they're so quick to just dismiss it? Well, a lot of it is because of the teaching in the church. You know, so many people go to prophetic conferences, they do or classes, go back to their church and say, go to their pastors and say, I had a dream or a vision, and the pastor will look at them like they had 10 heads. You know, or told, I've had many people come to me and say, well, I went to a pastor or an elder and told them I was having visions, and the pastor would tell them, well, you need to repent and ask God to, to stop that from happening. And, and they would ask God, and the visions with the dreams would stop. So there's not an atmosphere today for that to happen. 
I don't know if there was or not in Harriet Tubman's time, but she was so unique. She she didn't care. She was she was she never depended on other people. She had her she her personal relationship with God was so strong that nobody could talk her out of it. Right. That's not always the case though to have that much faith. But when you when when God saves you out of one situation after another, you know I guess you just build up such faith that people could come and try to tell you, oh, the prophetic's not real, and you look at them like they're crazy. <laughs> yeah, I was having a conversation with uh, with my daughter, and I I said to her, I said, Sam, I said, you know, somebody could tell me something, and I I I don't care who they were. Because I have seen things that I know are true. And when you see something, you know something that is true. It doesn't matter how many people try to tell you it's a lie. You know that it's truth. And I think that's the biggest thing. It's that if, if you don't trust what you've seen, if you don't believe what you've heard, then it's easy for for doubt and and for fear to come in and steal those things. I mean, it's almost like where Jesus was talking about the parables with the seeds. I think that sometimes those seeds are our faith, and sometimes those seeds are our hopes, and sometimes those seeds are our our dreams and and our destinies. And if we don't guard them, and if we don't plant them, and if we don't water them, we're they're going to die. They're going to get stolen. They're going to be killed. We have to we have to hold tight to the visions, and I I think that is what Harriet Tubman did. Is when she saw something, she held tight to what she saw, and she just she just acted as though it happened. And I and I I believe, for what I've been seeing and what I've been like hearing in my spirit, that there is coming a time. Where the, that there will be mem- members of the church that do believe, and it doesn't matter what somebody else says, they believe what they believe, and, and they can't be talked out of. And I think mm-hmm. that is, because there are people that I do know. Like, it doesn't matter how much you tell them. No. No, that's impossible. They, they don't care. <laughs> they're, <laughs> they're like, no, no, God told me. That's it. And, that, and, that, and that's it. That's just the way it is. It doesn't matter. You know, and they don't look at the situation. They just don't look at the situation. They just say, nope, God said it, so no, it's going to happen. <laughs> so let me ask you a question. What, what are, give me three things that you feel you have learned through Harriet Tubman that you, that you feel are, are going to be um, are a good takeaway for people to understand. Mm-hmm. Well, some of them, you know, the things I was really struck by, some of them I mentioned already. One of them is that the heart of ministry is just caring about the one person at a time. You know, not that you're limited to one person. Um, so that was, that was a very strong thing for me to see. You know, she wasn't about building a ministry or or business, or getting her fame and fortune, or getting her name out there. All she cared about was loving people, and, and she didn't care what color they were. After all, she was beat up and and disrupted and hurt and abused, you know, by whites. She would take 
white people into her house who were unfortunate. She she nurtured white soldiers during the Civil War back to health. I mean, that love being the heart of ministry, that was a powerful thing that I saw in her life. Um, another thing that was really, I mean, I could probably tell you a hundred things. Another thing to me that was really powerful was something you mentioned before, that she didn't wait till she had everything together in order to go out and do what God told, told her to do. She didn't care if she had all the money in her pocket. She would just step out in faith. You know, she didn't have to have an army behind her. She God told her, go out and rescue that person. And she went out and did it. And as she went, God would give her more details. You know, and so many people are waiting for, you know, for everything to come together. They want the anointing to come, and then they'll go out and do it. Well, Harriet Tubman learned that the anointing increases as you do it. Yeah. You know, I know so many Christians, they're waiting for the uh, to get struck by lightning and wake up with the anointing to heal the sick. You know, like, I'm not going to do anything until, like, I'm not anointed enough, but when I get the anointing, I'll do it. That's totally wrong. You don't wait to get the anointing. You go out and do it, and then and you step into the anointing. See, the anointing is an abide. It's called the abiding anointing. In other words, it's already in you, and you just need to begin to grow in it. And she knew that. So she never waited till everything came together. She just went out and knew that God would supernaturally give her the ability to do whatever she needed to do. There was one night where she laid in the snow all night. And they said, well, didn't you worry? I said, the, the, um, the interviewer asked her, well, didn't you worry that you were going to die? She said, no, I just asked God to keep me safe, and I knew he would do it, and I never got frostbite. Laying in the wintertime all night in the snow, and they didn't have the snow gear that we wear today. No, they had <laughs> nothing. Yeah, they, they had like a dress, for goodness sakes, if, if she was lucky. You know, but see, I think that's, I think that is, it, it tells about her relationship with God, that she trusted him. See, I think that part of the problem is that we don't trust. But the reason we don't trust is because we don't know him. I think it's like a double-edged sword. Like you, you have to like put your guard down so that you can start to know the father and start to, and as you start to develop this relationship, you can start to trust him. And as you start to trust him, your faith starts to increase. And when you see, like you said, you know, she, she went and took an empty basket and came back with food because she knew that he would do that. He would supply all her needs according to his riches and glory. And it says, and do not worry about what you eat or what you wear or what you drink, right? The Lord, for the Lord God knows your needs and he'll provide them. So but she didn't read, which is so cool. Like she didn't, so she couldn't understand the Bible, but she could understand her father's voice. No, but she memorized a lot of scriptures. She did. And, and who, from church. Okay. 
I think you also mentioned that she like left the church to go and do this. Is that true? Well, she was always part of the church. Oh, okay. Um, in fact, you know, at the end of her life, the church helped her to establish the Harriet Tubman home, you know, for people who were elderly, disabled, where she ended up living. And that's where she died. Wow. But she was always part of the church. The thing is, she was never a people pleaser, and that's, you're asking me three things, that's the third thing. She didn't care about reputation. She didn't care who didn't like her. You know, she didn't go out of her way to make people not like her, you know, or to disrupt people. But she never worried about anything except pleasing God. She didn't care if... Um, if she got other Christians upset, she did, you know, because of what she did, you know, a lot of people didn't like, you know, the church back then, they, the great majority of the church was against what she did. You know, they said, well, you need to obey the laws of the land. Well, I don't see that in Scripture. It does, Yes, we need to be obedient. We need to keep the laws. But when the laws are unjust, when the laws violate God's God's way, many times in the scriptures, people were called to violate those laws. Daniel prayed when it was illegal. Mordecai refused to bow down to Haman. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they wouldn't bow down to the image of the king. Um, Rahab the prostitute. You know, she hid she hid the slaves, even though it was illegal for her to do that. But the disciples were told, stop preaching. And they said, no, we obey God, not man. So she, she always did um, what she knew would please the heart of the Father and never worried about what people think. You know, especially today with social media, you know, everyone's so worried about how many likes they'll get and how many, um, you know, how how big is their page is getting. You know, people tell me all that. Oh, I have, I have a thousand followers. You think Harriet Tubman cared how many followers she had, mm-hmm. or how many people knew her name? Mm-hmm. No. Nobody. She died. Hardly anyone knew her name. It's only now, you know, that especially since Black History Month, you know, began that, you know, that they started to revisit a lot of historical figures. And now she's going to be on the twenty dollar bill. Wow. That's huge. In 2020. Wow. I mean, on the the twenty dollar bill. Okay, In 2020. Yeah. Wow. That's very interesting. Hmm. There's something very significant about that. I don't know why, but as you said it, I went, oh, wait, something, there's something about that. (laughs) There's something very significant about that. That's interesting. So, you know, God raised her up. God got her name out. You know, it was many years later, but I don't even think she can now. No. (laughs) No. I mean, would you? (laughs) You know, being in being in heaven, being with the Father, knowing 
and seeing all the, the work that you've done, you know, talking to the people and knowing the people that you helped. See, that's the thing. I once, I once said to somebody, I said, you know what? The reason that I'm not afraid to go up to somebody and pray for them is because if that is something that God wants to do to someone, who am I to stop it? Who am I? Like if this is what God wants to do and he wants to use me to do it, I can't say no because that's what he wants to do. And I think that's, that's one of the things that, that, um, that makes me so, it makes me smile to see other people doing what they're called to do, blessing people, stopping for the one. I mean, there's so many people, you know, that both you and I, you know, are, are friends with where that is their life. They do stop for the one. And because of that, you guys, especially you, Gary, you've taught me so much and you've taught me to stop for the one and not to worry about the big things and just to go because if you ever think that you're not going to be, you know, you're going to be prepared, it's never going to happen. But you're going to just do what you can do and let God fill in the rest. And I, I think that's such um, that's so important to be taught that we don't have to have everything figured out, but know that God does. And I think doing this book, I, I, I hope that this has just blessed people, especially people who have an interest in, um, in their ancestry. Uh, you know, this is, I'm sure that this is going to be a book that really is going to, to touch the African-American communities. And I, I really hope that, that this is also going to open up a platform for you to go and speak in, in some of these black churches so that they can... I, I just feel like I just keep hearing the word rise up. I just feel like there needs to be a rising up of the church and of the of the people to start walking into their destinies. So this, I think this, let me ask you a question, Gar. Has this book changed you? Yeah, it totally changed my perspective on the prophetic and what it is. You know, for me, it took it out of the church building and put it into what it was truly meant to be, to set people free. You know, for her, the, as I said before, the prophetic wasn't just about we're going to have all these spiritual experiences and get caught up. Those things are wonderful. I'm not negating that. But the heart of the prophetic for her was, I see a person that I need to set free. You know, God would show her people she would meet in the future in places and would give her strategies. So for the prophetic to come off of just, you know, conferences and, and, and meetings and, and being taken out into, re, into real-life situations, life-or-death situations, you know, to me, that's really, she taught me really what the prophetic is all about. Wow. Well, if you guys are interested in getting Gary, Pastor Gary's new book, The Fugitive Prophet, The Prophetic Journey of Harriet Tubman, you can purchase it on Amazon, correct? It could go to Amazon directly or, or people can go to my website, Surpassing glory.org so that's surpassingglory.org or I also have a page just for this book which is thefugitiveprofit.com 
So if you guys are interested in getting a copy of this book, I mean, it's Christmas time. It'd be great to to give to people, especially people who have um, prophetic destinies or even if they just are trying to to walk out some of the things, you know, because I think that as, you know, Pastor Gary was sharing that it 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 showed him the prophetic in such a different light. It's not about the church. It's really about the people. And so, you know, if you get a copy of this book, this really might help you to understand where your faith comes and your faith comes through that trusting relationship with your heavenly father. So, Gary, this has been, this was a very different conversation for us. Usually we're interpreting dreams. I know. <laughs> People, if they have dreams, they could, if they go on my website, surpassingglory.org, it has a place there where they can um, send me the dream. And it's always free. People ask how much you charge. The Bible says, freely you receive, so freely give. Amen. Amen. And as we're starting to work on getting our website up, we're also going to be having a link that if you guys have dreams, that it'll actually go straight to Pastor Gary's, uh, to his email. So you won't even have to uh, start worrying. Because I think that this is one of the things that, you know, um, that God wants to do. It's about connecting and it's about um, also um, like starting to unravel and to reveal some of the the secrets that God is sharing with us as we sleep, because uh, Pastor Gary definitely has such a great anointing. Every dream I have, I always send it to him. Sometimes I'm like, are you sure that wasn't a God dream? He goes, no. <laughs> he goes, I think that was not a God dream. <laughs> so it's always nice to have somebody who will tell you no when it's really not, you know. So Gary, this has been so awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for, for writing this book. I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to actually read it. I'm going to definitely, um, I'll, I'll definitely have to talk to you. So if, like I said, if you guys are interested in getting um, a copy of this book, you can go to surpassingglories.org. You can go to amazon.com. Remember, it's close to Christmas, so you can get it. The name of the book, again, is The Fugitive Prophet, The Prophetic Journey of Harriet Tubman by Pastor Gary Fishman. Thanks so much, Gary, for calling in. Sure. This has been awesome. And um, have a very blessed Christmas and New Year's. You too. And everyone out there in um, cyberspace. <laughs> Absolutely. We'll have you back on to, in 2017. Okay, great. Absolutely. Well, thank you guys for tuning in. I hope this has blessed you. Remember to go out and touch someone. Good night.